Welcome to the official Solaris podcast. I'm your host, Steve Foley, alongside Eric Wilt in our mobile production studio. The goal of the podcast series is to further promote engagement and discussions around a broad range of relevant industry topics. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another Solaris podcast. Today, I'm with our Senior Vice President for Flight Operations, Tom Benvenuto. Tom has uh, got a few guests that are attending also, Alex, Kevin, and Bart. Tom, I'll let you introduce the team. We're looking forward to a conversation around something that's near and dear to everybody's heart. All the various demands we have from a flight operations standpoint can become pretty challenging, not the least of which is international operations or even long drawn out domestic operations, fatigue factors, it all sets in, it snowballs, it becomes a factor. I know that uh, our professionals out there in the Solariverse are accustomed to managing those factors regularly. We look forward to uh, a discussion around some of those points today. Before we turn it over to uh, Tom and his guest today, I'd also like to introduce our Vice President for Marketing and Communications, Eric Wilt, who's here in the studio. Eric, over to you. Hey, Steve, thanks for uh, the introduction. And speaking of the studio, to our listeners on home, in the air, at the FBO, in your rental car, I have to apologize for the audio. Uh, You heard in the opening credits that we have a mobile studio. So we sort of go where the talent is, and the talent today has brought us to the Petaluma headquarters in the conference room. So those of you who have been here for recurrent, for initial training, or just to come say hi, you know that D Street can be rather loud. So expect to hear some car noise. And uh, Benvo has also organized some of his peers to call in, so we're going to do our best to record their phone audio today. So a little bit funky on the production side, but it should still be great. Thanks, Eric. As you might expect, everyone, Eric has us wired for sound, and he would say wired for success. Tommy, over to you. Tom? Well, thanks, Steve. And I must say, I feel kind of like a rock star being interviewed here. I, I kind of like it. With my band members here. And you're looking foreground. good as well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No thank mistake you. about that. Uh, so, for the guys on the phone, Kevin Engel, who's our G550 uh, captain here, uh, on an account out of LA. We have Bart Goldman, who's a G450 captain, Cam, out of, Pol- not Pawaukee, um, Bart. Waukegan. Waukegan. And of all places, too, I've been there a million times, back in the old Jelly Belly days. Um, and Alex McNear, who's a global captain uh, at Oregon and flies all over the place. Perfect candidates for this discussion. And as Steve opened up, it's about fatigue and our flight time, duty time, current policies, trends, ideas, and thoughts about your operation, what you've experienced in the past, and moving forward, where we should potentially go. Also, we'll bring it into um, light our fatigue risk meter that we've been using. And frankly, I think you, if anyone, no, you, I guess you guys, well, Bart was on the call here earlier, uh, the CAM call, and we talked a little bit about that. Um, just so you guys know, and I mentioned in an email uh, yesterday to you guys, we have been dealing with waivers now for flight time, duty time uh, extensions in our 91 policy uh, extensively uh, and on a daily basis. And it's very apparent that we probably need to 
amend and or reformulate these policies and you know hopefully some of the discussions we'll have here today will help uh, lead that charge in the near future so on that I'll I'm gonna push the question out to you guys and that's you know what's what's your opinions currently on our Solaris guidelines for 91 flight time duty time uh, um, guidelines if you will and, and and are they sufficient do you know do we need to do we need to manipulate them do we need to can them and start fresh uh, what's your thoughts well Tom Kevin here um, I think for the most part they work but as you know we have needed to take advantage of the waiver on a number of occasions and that to me that works because I think some of these some of these issues that, that come about have to be looked at in an individual sense. It, it, it's not always just a cut and dry, you know, 14 hours, 14 hours period, the end, that's all we've got. You know, some, I, I think you need to look at the day before, I need, you need to look at what's happening the day after. Um, we're not addressing circadian rhythms, which I think we probably should, and with the with the need to talk to flight ops to get that waiver, I think we can look at all those different variables. Well, that, that I, I'm all, yeah, and I'm all for looking into the science because I think stuff's, and, and you know, I've, I've gone way down this rabbit hole in my previous account yep. where I, I got way in the weeds with, with the owner of the airplane and we pulled in NASA studies and he and I had a very in-depth conversation that ended up going the way that we sort of wanted it to go on the flight ops side. But we also, at the end of the day, it was not, it, we didn't make it a, a hard and fast, this is what it is, and that's how it's always going to be. But we always kept some flexibility in there, which we kind of need in this business. Totally agree. But since then, there's been a lot of new science. So I think we do need to, and I'm excited to see what this fatigue metric, you know, app, whatever is being talked about, does. But I think we definitely need to look at the circadian rhythms and on the backside of the clock. Well, I like, Kevin, I liked your comment about, you know, it's a sort of a case-by-case scenario or situation when we're dealing with these waivers that go above and beyond our 91 guidelines and I can tell you right now you know just a few years ago a lot of this was just by feel and experience um, in terms of you know all right are we gonna let these guys go you know are we gonna let these guys go 16 hours of duty and you know 12 hours and 20 of flight um, and you know friend and I would sit around and talk about it uh, Fred being you know an air former airline guy 747 driver in the 121 world which really you didn't even have that ability to uh, be flexible right I mean there were hard set rules but he obviously got what it felt like to you know fly across the Pacific and as he's flying across the Pacific to the east the Sun's rising and he's been up for 16 hours uh, and I know Kevin you know that and I know Bart you know that and I know yep. Alex you guys all know how that feels um, so there was some relevance there in terms of using our own personal uh, experiences in, in granting some of these waivers and of course we always 
we always went to the crew to say, okay guys, are you being, is this being forced down your throat or is this something you guys are comfortable with and you're just trying to make the trip happen? Because obviously if it was something that was being forced down your throat, we would always back you up and say, no, we're not gonna do it. Now that being said, as of the last eight months, say, we've been using this fatigue assessment meter, which is from the Pulsar Corporation, and uh, the guy leading the charge, I, I should have copied down his name, I forgot. he was here talking to us during the Cam Jam. They have come up with this really cool uh, piece of software that quantitatively essentially evaluates the trip as a whole. And so it takes into account your circadian rhythm, your potential rest, your, what you've been doing in terms of flying prior to the actual trip that you're analyzing. And it's provided us some really, really good insight into this whole fatigue matter. And since this, or since we've been using this uh, tool, we have, or I have certainly started now to really get familiar with trips that I know are gonna go above the threshold. And in this case, the threshold, you guys, just so you know, it goes from zero to, I think, 15 or 16. And the threshold where we're, it goes into the more or less the red where we sort of say, you know, we're not going to do this or we've got to mitigate this trip is 12. And it's uncanny how most of the 12s or more are the backside of the clock or your circadian low. Uh, and it's always a top of descent, you know, to say it's three or four in the morning, five in the morning. That is usually the peak of you know where it peaks out on the fatigue meter and what we've done now is we've been able to uh, go back to the crew and or the client for that matter and say hey you know the crew's gonna be really fatigued this is a two-legged trip with a tech stop in CAF or, or whatever Luton on your way to Greece or wherever you're going uh, and it would be prudent from a safety standpoint and from a crew fatigue standpoint if we pushed your departure uh, to an de earlier departure so that these guys fall in line with more of their circadian rhythm and therefore when you get to your ultimate de destination and they're at the top of descent getting ready to put down their fatigue level is going to be four points lower than they would if you left at this time and it's worked really really well now that said the, the, how they measure the fatigue, in other words, it's, it's general in nature. So what works for some people doesn't necessarily work for others. Um, and that's the variable that, you know, I, I really want to sort of reach out to the, the Solaris uh, pool, if you will, the Solaris pilots, and, and get some gouge on, you know, what they feel with regards to what's reasonable and what's not reasonable. Alex, Bart, you have... What's your thoughts? So, well, I'm, I'm, I, I'm going to, this is Alex. I, I might be a little long-winded on this one. Um, I, I definitely agree with the, uh, uh, the circadian issue needs to be a player. Um, and also, um, I understand the case-by-case -case basis to a little bit, a little bit of dev, de devil's advocate here and just going back. If we're having guidelines or a policy, um, I, I don't think they do any good unless we're enforcing them. I think we, we do need to ratchet it down and, and look at things as opposed to broad, but well, okay, we'll give them a waiver, we'll give them a waiver. Um, 
I think, uh, as you mentioned before, that the airlines are doing it, and it's mostly for the lowest common denominator of a situation. I think maybe that we, uh, especially the more exposure we're getting, should start to lean that way with uh, the crew duty issues. I've, I've got the Part 91 manual in front of me and the 135, and why aren't we just why don't we just keep it to the 135? Why, why should it change? We don't we don't change it's just that the regs change from 135 to 91 why don't we just run it all under 135 and then waver away from that as need be um i I, i'm starting to get a little more hardcore on the fatigue issues i know it's it's a live thing and will continue um but it's something uh that really like the moving of crews around um to augment is i think should be happening more often than what it does i think um, and this is just personally, I think sometimes it's not done, whether it's looked at as a cost structure, uh, some kind of inconvenience or anything else. Um, and I think that needs to change. How about you, Bart? Well, what I'd like to see, I mean, and, and taking into account that the PIC is the final authority, um, you know, I think 135 is the gold standard. What I'd like to see is, is some kind of SMS type structure where you can score a flight against the matrix and not to only take into account, you know, the fatigue meter, but, you know, what are you doing? Are you doing domestic only? Is your last leg international? Are you going to like a 5,000-foot strip with a, you know, an NDB approach? Um, are you hanging out at an FBO? Are you hanging out at, you know, some airport terminal in an international place? You know, I think we should score the flight against the matrix so that, you know, you can look at a flight beforehand. You know, is it, you know, what season is it? Um, so, that, you know, even in the planning phase, you can look at a flight and go like, well, you know, this is going to score whatever. I mean, just like the SMS, you know, maybe you score a 40 out of a 50 and then put it up against, you know, the flight ops group and say, what do you guys think? But at least then when you're planning the, the flight, you can look at the matrix and go like, okay, well, this is going to score high. Maybe we should do something different or, you know, this is going to score, you know, low. Uh, it'll probably be a pretty good chance I'll get it approved. And depending then on, you know, weather and all the other factors that go into the, fi- the flight, you know, 48 hours before, you can make a decision on what you want to do. That's a good point, too. Um, and and th- this is where it gets starts to get kind of sticky and complicated because the fatigue meter itself is really a pre-scheduling tool. Uh, and so, you know, on a lot of the trips that we do in our operation now, this doesn't apply to all operations, but certainly the majority of our operations, most of our operations are planned out well in advance so that uh, when you're dealing with these types of trips, which, you know, have long due days or flight time days, you have the ability to look at the schedule and and more or less critique it and evaluate it in terms of what are the fatigue ramifications. Uh, obviously, that becomes much more difficult on a short 24-hour-plus window uh, where you don't necessarily have the flexibility because of permits and, and you know, various other logistical concerns that when you're planning the trip, things are, need to fall into place, and they need to fall into place right now, so there can't be a whole lot of discussion other than the fact that you need to make a decision as to whether or not your, this trip is doable based on the way it's scheduled. Um, also, you know, when it comes to weather uh, and approaches and all that kind of stuff, in other words, the, the, the actual trip uh, details for a, from a pilot perspective, 
you know, how often are we l looking at that from a visibility perspective three weeks out versus, okay, the trip's on the books, it looks like it's gonna be a long day, you know, in a couple of days, then I'll start looking at it and then go from there. I mean, at, I think what happens is we may look at the trip uh, and say, oh man, it's gonna be a long day, but it's doable. Uh, it kind of falls within the parameters of our 91 guidelines, uh, so we're good to go. And then we look at it four or five days later, and it's a complex trip. You know, you're going into Kathmandu. It's mountainous. You've never been into Kathmandu. Now you got to go to a you got to go to flight safety and train up on the Kathmandu so-called authorization to arrive. I mean, there are a lot of things that fall into place that actually change the the look of the trip from a fatigue standpoint days after you already accept the schedule. And so how do we, I, I, I guess it gets complicated because if we start looking at every single trip as details as we need to look at it, um, is it really practical? And are people disciplined enough to look at it that far out in advance? I don't, I, Tom, Alex, I, I think that there's, to, to play all those variables, I think it, it could be a lot more cut and dry. If you're if you're having to make a trigger decision at 48 hours prior, you and you need to move a crew, it's too late. Yes. If you're 48 hours, it's too late. Yeah. You need to have a crew there 48 hours. If we're doing a movement and we're gonna we got to swap and cap or somewhere else, I mean, they should already be on their way. Um, yep. And I and I think having to look at all these variables and if this and that and all the other things, I think it needs to be more cut and dry at that. And I and simplify it so Alex you brought up the fact that why aren't we just flying everything to the 135 standard yeah why not what are your I mean Bart and and Kevin I, I can I can just from my own personal interactions with other folks within the organization and outside our organization we obviously get a lot of pushback from that but from from your perspectives obviously Alex has voiced that opinion what about you Kevin or Bart what, what do you think about that well, Tom, it's Kevin, and you know I've heard it is Part 91. Yeah. I mean, th these clients and owners, they know there's a difference. That's right. And I I'm, I'm sure the reason we don't do 135 across the board is because of economics. Yeah. And, I, 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 and it's not that they can't afford it. It's they buy these airplanes to do, I mean, let's face it, a 550 or a 650, that better you might as well have a 450 if you're going to do 135 regs yep that's right you, you can't go more than 12 hours period well and there's this is why there's so many variables involved in this yep i've done 13 and a half hour flights with two pilots international across really tough areas of the world and been a hundred percent completely safe and rested and all is good and that's because Everything was planned in advance. We had lots of rest before. We had lots of rest after. Everything was on time. We had three weeks to prepare for the trip, and it, it went off perfectly. 13 hours and 28 minutes, you know, going from Geneva to Singapore. And it's, it went well. But I've also had trips that going from L.A. to Teterboro that the bosses massively late and now we're into a situation where a trip that looks easy on paper a week ago falls into an issue so there, there's just a lot of things that there's just so many variables involved in this that 
I, I guess I, I just don't, unfortunately we can't follow the, the 135 regs in at least in my operation. Uh, I, you know, and Kevin, I, you know, I'm on when I say I'm on your side. I definitely lean towards that philosophy because I there's and I'm not to throw I'm not trying to throw you on the bus here, Alex. But if you try to no, not at all. And and and, and I it's it's something where. I'm not saying that we run them under a 135 requirement, but running the duty time closer to 135 doesn't mean you're putting the air, aircraft on a 135 basis. And whether owners know whether it's 91 or 135, but I have follow-up to this, but I'll not um, continue to interrupt you. No, no, it's all right. It's all right. This is this is this is a free forum for us to sort of. This is a passionate thing too with everyone, and I knew. You know, when when uh, Steve came up to me and said, "Hey, we're going to do a podcast," you know, we want to do it about an hour long, and I'm, I'm like, "Oh my God, an hour long! What the hell are we going to talk about for an hour?" And I thought, "Okay, there's two things I know we could talk for days on, and that's fatigue and checklists." <laughs> but no, go ahead, Alex. I didn't mean to, you know, go on a tangent there. And we'll we'll keep you scoped to closer to forty yeah. minutes. No, no, it's, it's just you know there's, there's, there's certain things that it be, because I I think general aviation and we as as especially with the representation that we now have in the industry or or at all that ninety one and general aviation is still this redheaded stepchild, and um, the airlines set a parameter for lowest common denominator and you know whether and we have it with one thirty five and we are held to. Um, duty rest requirements and everything else but like i said why have a policy in the 91 book if we're not going to enforce it um and i understand that certain things and if you feel and if one guy feels great about it and another guy doesn't it i this is where i start to struggle with the case by case is because one day you feel good in doing 13 hours but the next day you don't or the next guy who comes and does the trip because this other person wasn't on it isn't okay with a 13-hour day and and this is where you know where we get into this well we don't want to upset the owner we don't want to have discourse there and and having that uh mentality of of doing what we need to do and upholding the policy or upholding what we say we're going to do and not feeling like there's going to be some kind of recourse so so actually to expand on what you just said the airlines and the one and so-called 135 air carriers, they, if they had it their way, they wouldn't be any duty time or flight time regs, right? I mean, think about it. If if you gave the airlines, of course not, no, hell no, right? They do whatever they need to do to get that airplane to fly 18 hours, and you'd probably have two pilots and two flight attendants sharing the load. Um, it's the government, yeah. and the government obviously. Uh, Puts out a regulation, and it's all on the. It's all in in favor of public safety, which we're all about. I mean, it's let's face it, safety is the paramount subject here. Because if it's not a safe operation, uh, it's not worth even doing. Because frankly, all you need to have is one accident, and it's all over. Uh, and I don't just mean to the people themselves that are involved in the accident, but to the organization. It's it's just it can be a catastrophic event for anyone to go through. That being said, I really feel, based on where I've been now in this seat for you know the last so many years, that this 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 thing is so dynamic that you really need to look at it on a case by case period. And you can literally have 
like Alex, like you sort of said, you could, whether it's the 135 regs or our current 91 policy, you could take that, you make that your guidelines, but every single trip that gets put onto the schedule goes through a fatigue assessment. And if for whatever reason, when that trip is scheduled, that fatigue assessment flags, in other words, the flag being 12 or more right now anyway, then we're going back to the client and, and or the crew and we're saying, okay, you guys, we gotta do something different with this trip. What do you wanna do? These are the things we can do. And that way, you know, hopefully a couple of days out, three weeks out, whatever the time frame is, right from the get-go, we can begin to manage these schedules before they ever get to the point where, you know, like in Kevin's scenario, where it's a flight from LAX to Teterboro, it's, it's scheduled to be, you know, call it a nine-hour duty day, and it ends up being a 17-hour duty day, and, and it's only five hours of flying. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you qualify that risk, though? So let's say that, you know, if you go beyond 14 hours, and it's smart, by the way, but if you go beyond 14 hours, you're taking on additional risk, right? So how do you quantify that? I mean, you know, you can look at the pilots, and you can look at the airplane, but you, you got to have some kind of matrix to quantify that and, and that's see what, if that's acceptable or not. You're right. We do. You do. You can't just subjectively quantify it just by looking at it. You use this fatigue assessment tool that we've been using, which is a, it's basically software that looks at, it looks at your duty time, it looks at the flight time, it looks at your normal rest period, where you're starting the trip, where you're ending the trip. And it's able to give you, I mean, go ahead. Well, I mean, let's say you're doing like New York to London, right? I mean, it's, it's big airports, good infrastructure, you're going into London, you know, Luton or whatever, you got an ILS. But I mean, that's a totally different risk profile than if you're going into, you know, Izmir and Turkey and it's a GPS only approach and, you know, there's no FBO. And so I think we should think, you know, I mean, that's how I look at the flights. Like, I mean, is my last night going to be domestic U.S. and I'm going into, you know, Chicago O'Hare? I mean, that's pretty easy, even if the weather is down. But if I'm going into Milwaukee and it's a circle to three, four at night, that's a totally different risk profile, right? I mean, especially at, you know, hour 16 into your trip. Yeah, so, so let me ask you this, Bart, and that's a really, really good question. In that last scenario, going into Pewaukee and then you'd circle the land, uh, the thing is, do you know that two or three weeks out? You really only know that 24 hours out because basically that's the resolution of our forecast. Well, no, but I mean, I think you plan it as a worst case scenario. So if it's like, let's say it's a wintertime trip, right? Uh, I got, I'm going to assume that the weather is going to be bad. It's going to probably be snowing. So, you know, maybe, you know, if it's hour 16 and there's two pilots on it and we're tired, maybe, you know, we won't do that. Maybe we'll, we'll say to the owner, well, you know, if you want to do this, it, it's got to be Midway or it's got to be O'Hare. Milwaukee is going to be out. Um, you know, and so you can mitigate, you can mitigate right up front, right? And you can say, well, we're willing to do a 16-hour day, but it's going to be in the midway. If you don't want that, then we'll do a crew swap and banger, and, you know, you can do Milwaukee, but it'll be with a fresh crew. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. So I think, you know, if you have some kind of matrix where you can score the flight against, then you can say, okay, you know, worst-case scenario, this is acceptable, but, you know... 
If it's not, then we'll have to we'll have to adjust the trip, and maybe maybe the trip will be great. Maybe everything will go smoothly, but you can't really count on that. So, are you propo- is it, is that? And let's just say you were proposing this to a board. Are you proposing then that when you get a schedule, then you're looking at the trip, the, the little, the specific trip logistics, and then you're not only you're doing a fatigue assessment, but incorporated into the fatigue assessment is essentially a, a risk assessment. Yes, because isn't it exactly the same thing? I mean, you're taking on, if you go beyond 14 hours, you're taking on additional risk. So what are you willing to accept? I mean, how much risk are you willing to accept? Um, you know, and I think that's different for everybody. I mean, if you have two 11,000-hour pilots that have flown together for two years, um, you know, that's one thing. I mean, if you're doing it in, a, in an airplane that has a HUD and EVS or synthetic vision, that's a totally different risk profile than if you're doing it in a 604 with, uh, you know, Steam gauges. I mean, I'm just throwing out some stuff. But I think you got to look at, at the whole profile, the whole flight, and the crew. You know, how much have they been flying? I mean, are they pretty proficient? Is the guy flying 100 hours a year? Or are they flying 400 hours a year? You know, I mean, you can even bring it as far as back as to what was your latest sim training. I mean, how, how proficient do you feel before the flight? So on your, you know, I think on your account, Bart, I'm a, I'm, I know you well enough to know that you're, you're already doing that now. Yeah, I think we all do it now. I mean, I think we all look at it, you know, maybe not scoring it, but, I mean, I think we all look at our schedule and go like, oh, that's doable, or eh, that trip is not doable. I mean, you can you can tell as soon as they put the trip on the schedule if something is workable enough for your airplane and your specific crew um, based on, you know, based even on the season. You know, I mean, so, I mean, I don't think we put a number to it, but I think as an organization, you probably could put a number to it. And, and that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that, you know, the flight is a go or a no-go, but I think you can, you know, you come up with a score and then it goes to flight ops and they can take a look at it and go like, okay, yeah, you know, this is doable for them. You know, with the PIC being the final authority, obviously, but there's other things you can say as, as an organization. You go like, well, you know, we don't want to take on that risk. That's just too much risk. Go back to the drawing board and figure out if you need a crew swap or, or you need to do something different on the, on the, on the trip. Maybe a different airport or earlier departure, later. I mean, whatever, however you want to mitigate your risk. So let's. I don't think it's. Don't think, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, sorry. Keep. Well, I, I, I don't think it's essentially any different than doing an SMS. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, you're scoring a flight against parameters, some kind of matrix that you put the numbers into, and then you come up with a number that represents a risk amount that you're willing to take. So let me give you this scenario, and this is. F- the person who's experienced this is on this phone call. And Kevin, if I get this wrong, you can obviously ad lib here or or add in the actual details. So you're doing a trip from LAX to Hawaii and you're going into a kind of a crummy little airport. And the whole purpose was to do this trip uh, in the afternoon hours. But this particular- Daytime, thank you. But this particular client, notoriously shows up late. So he ends up showing late, and on this is the day of the trip. So he shows up, and now he shows up at, let's just say he shows up at six in the six in early evening. And now he wants to launch. And now you know you're gonna get to your location, and it's gonna be night. And you're going to an airport that's on during the day is not too bad, but at, at night it's kind of sketchy based on your original assessment of the airport. 
Now, you've been sitting around for six hours, Kevin, or was it longer? I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, no, that's probably it. I don't think it was even quite that long as the wait. And it was, what happened was there was a drop dead time and we had, you know, 30 minutes of cushion built in. And he used up the 30 minutes of cushion and showed up and wanted to go. And it was, we actually put enough fuel on to go eight, five and make up, you know, eight minutes or whatever it was. And it turned out that we were going to get there daylight barely, you know, now we're into the dusk. Is it date? Is it sun? You know, we're, we're, we're in dusk. So we still have daylight. And then of course we have to do a missed approach because a single engine airplane was practicing an ILS in IMC conditions without talking to anybody in front of us. So what are the odds of that happening? So now we, we add time going around to come in and land again. And it ends up we landed. We could see when we took off, it was dark. It worked out because this airport was land one way, take off the other way. So we could see. For the, but it was tight. If it had been another... 30 minutes late, which is easily possible in our case, then it would have been, you know, it would have been a lot, a lot worse. And we actually, when we had the missed approach and had to go around, we had a discussion of just diverting to Honolulu where there were no hotels, you know, and that was, you know, that was a call right at the time. And we could, you know, of course, then there's rain shower moving overhead. And I mean, you just add it all up and that's, what typically, you know, gets you. It's it's a whole bunch of little things, right? Yep. Yep. And and I get and in my opinion, because now the crew's already been sitting around for six hours waiting for this client, that to me is more fatiguing than actually being out and working, flying. And I know there's folks that yeah. don't you know, there are non pilot people that might listen to this podcast and, and think we're crazy that sitting around an FBO waiting is fatiguing, but I'm telling you, and would you guys agree, it, it's fatiguing. I don't know why it's fatiguing. I don't know if it's because you're sort of on the edge waiting to go, 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 go. I, I can't answer the question because I really have not figured it out. And maybe it's a self Well, there's, all, there's also more stress. There's more stress too, Tom. There's stress involved with it not being on time and, and then not also as, as you get close. Yeah, and, and getting closer to uh-oh, what if we have to pull the plug on this? That All, all that adds stress, which is fatiguing in, in and of itself. I agree. And, How and, can, can I ask, have, have you guys ever pulled the plug? On trips? Uh, or on uh, Kevin? No, I mean, just the fact where he where he rolls up and and you're just like, sorry, man, you're too late. We have always been able to mitigate that with a phone call that we're serious, we're not going to be able to go if you're not here now. I mean, and it, it got to where we were we were very close to that happening at one point. Yeah. And, and we used that. I think he plays the game. I hate to say this, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think to some degree there's a bit of a game thing here. They're, they'll push the limit, push the limit, all the way up to when they're really, really pushed. You guys got to be there in the next 50 minutes. And if you're not there by 6.50, we're going to have to go tomorrow after the crew goes back in to rest. And it always shows up, five minutes to spare. Well, maybe not every single time, but almost. If, if that. I mean, literally, I've, I've called him 
that if you're not driving to the airport in 15 minutes, we're not going to go. And that's, he rolls up at exactly the, you know, the last possible second when, when we're all, you know, so it just, it happens and it's, it's tough to do. And I'm all for any of this fatigue, you know, the, the app or whatever you're rolling in time that we're talking about, it sounds like that is good for pre-flight planning, but isn't really going to help what, I, what we're running into. Right. And that's my, my, I guess where I was going to go with this to kind of get back into the circle here of fatigue was I don't think you can ever get away because there's been some suggestions that instead of having an actual matrix guideline with, you know, limits that we do away with the limits and we assess the trips in the schedule as they're booked. But the problem with that is what Kevin experiences or frankly, what we've all experienced, because let's face it, when you own a multi-million dollar asset, the ability to come and go when you can at your own will within reason is the whole purpose of the asset. Is it not? I mean, that's what we cater. It is, but, but, but there also, there has to be a parameter set and, and, to the individual that owns this piece of this asset, that there are limitations that go along with it, that it's not just a free-for-all. And that's where yeah. I buck up against is that it, you have to, they have to hear the word no. And I'm not just saying randomly going, well, today yep. I'm just going to pull the plug. But once they get on the airplane, the, the situation is, it's up to us to what one that we get there safe, they get there safe. And, and I mean, it's, it's like a balance of humility and having a soul. And, and not just going, well, we're just, we're just going to do it again. Um, because this is where I get frustrated about de- general aviation that we qualify under as a redheaded stepchild. Because we're the ones that run a G4 off the end of a runway in Massachusetts because there's a crew not using a checklist. Or there's two guys not qualified in a Falcon 50 that run an airplane off the end of a runway. That's 91. That's general aviation, and that's who we are. And it, so when I push on that thing about the airlines and and they're doing it they're running checklists and they're sticking to duty times and they're doing it for somewhat of the lowest competent denominator because they don't have the time to run the parameters or you know like 80 different parameters of like well, what did he eat the night before and everything else and and if we're going to have a policy then let's stick to it and we can vary it a little bit here and there and maybe a little bit case-by-case basis but but to string it out with an SMS of 80 different questions on anything like that, I think that starts to get ridiculous. Let, let me ask you this question, Tom, Kevin, again. Is the, is the, the push to change our 91 guidelines, limitations, duty, you know, if we want to make it hard and fast, we want to roll this out, there, I get the feeling that because of the number of waivers that are being granted, where we extended a couple hours, and we're we're guilty of several of those, as you know. Yes. It, it's is it a time constraint on getting hold of you know of you or Paul or you know what is is that is it becoming there's so many of them? Yeah. So that, yeah, that, that becomes an issue because let let me back up let me on the same subject in another direction here. You know the waivers okay per the CAM as well. That's correct. Right? That's correct. Okay, I uh, we I personally on this account do not have a problem with that, but I know people who do. 
because I know I know guys out there on our team, Solaris Airplanes, that they're, the CAM is willing to, to do stuff that the other pilot's not, and we're getting into a whole other issues and the, the duty limitations, but I think that the CAM being able to do that, especially if the CAM's not on the flight, that I'm not so sure that's a good idea. I, I And I agree with you 100%, and frankly, the there are not cams out there making the decision on, on a solo siloed basis uh and part of the reason is and thank god for this reason i, I can't believe i'm saying this because avionis sometimes is a huge thorn uh but it th avionis will throw warnings because we have we have these guidelines built into avionis so that when there is an extension Either myself, Paul Capistran, or Jim have to go into Avianus and provide the waiver. So even if the cam said, oh, it's okay, he doesn't get carte blanche freedom to be able to make that decision. It, it still comes through us. And if it looked ridiculous, obviously we'd say, no, you're not going to do that. And, and frankly, we've, we've settled no to a lot of trips. Uh, and most of the time, it's not so much the trip, it's just how it's scheduled. So we're able to go and say, okay, no, we're not going to do it this way, but you can potentially do it this way. Because I don't think no, you, you can't, I'm not a big believer in just no, you can't do that. I'm, unless, of course, it's a regulation or something's, you know, something's asinine. But certainly when it's, you need some flexibility. And, and if you can provide uh, avenues of um, um, alternate ways of doing something, then I think it's a healthy discussion. Um, so, but, but, but what do you base your no and your yes on? I mean, that's my whole point is like, you know, it shouldn't be a subjective, well, I feel really good today, so I'm going to do this, you know, because it's not really fair to everybody else within the organization to, you know, even as a camp, because if I take on additional risk and I, I do something, you know, I go off the end of the runway or, you know, you hit a tree or whatever, I mean, that, that has consequences for everybody within the organization, right? I mean, you can say you're 91, but it doesn't really work that way That's because right. if right. a Solaris plane goes up in the runway, my owner's going to come to me and go, like, what are these guys doing? I mean, should we be here? Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I, I, you need to qualify it somehow. And I know you guys don't want to do it on an SMS, but, you know, if you're going to go with the premise that you're going to go beyond 14 hours or 16 hours, then there needs to be something that quantifies the answer to everybody that says, yes, this is what we find acceptable, and no, this is what we find don't acceptable. Because, again, you know, you don't want to leave it just up to a CAM, but if I'm not the CAM and I get assigned a flight for my account that I think is questionable, you know, I mean, I, I should have, I should be able to look at the parameters and go, like, okay, well, you know, they found this acceptable. You know, I don't find it acceptable. But you got to be able to quantify it somehow. Right, well, it can't just be a. This looks good to us, but you're you're spot on. There's no there's no argument there, but the the quantification. There's two things you're quantifying. You're quantifying the the fatigue risk, which is a separate issue. That's just looking at your duty time and your flight time and your rest leading up to it. What you've been doing trip wise leading up to it, right? Then there's the actual. Uh, frat or the risk assessment, which really you can only conduct 24 hours out because you don't know the weather, right? Uh, so all that built in, you're you're getting that uh, ultimately before you're released, right? Before you step out on and start your duty clock. But I think going back to uh, what Alex was saying, and that is. 
there, there is no, there's not going to be one can solution to this issue of fatigue. We're, it's gonna, we need to have a multi-pronged approach. Uh, we need to respect the fact that we are in an industry where we have these aircraft that fly long and far, um, and that we build in to our systems uh, ways to mitigate the idea that, you know, because I have an airplane that can go 14 hours, really I only need two pilots. Well, you know what? That's not the kind of client we want. And frankly, on the front side of it, when we have clients that come in, I can tell you, Steve's sitting right here. When that discussion happens, they're saying, oh yeah, we have guidelines. They're not saying you have, you know, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, just because you're 91. It's not like that at all. Unfortunately, what happens sometimes is the client, you know, in these discussions, from the time you to time you entertain the discussion to the time they actually start utilizing the airplane, it can sometimes be months. So what's we've communicated to them, you know, obviously didn't anchor. And so it's not until, you know, they want to go somewhere where we've got this, you know, it's a tremendous duty day and a flight time day where now we have to sort of re-educate this guy. Um, and probably the most prudent thing for us to respect, and I know we respect in flight ops, is the precedent with an owner, especially a new owner. We're very, very cautious about providing these waivers to new owners, because the, as soon as you crack that door, holy moly, it's very hard to shut that door again. And they, and they want to push more and more and more and more. And so I think we've been very, fairly successful for the most part. Well, maybe not for you, Kevin. <laughs> well, maybe he's better now than he was in the past. Well, it, it, it depends on what it is, Tom. If, if, if we're seeing something like, like what most people are up against with, it's a long trip where we know there's going to be an issue and things like We're really successful at dealing with that. We need, you know what? We should have three pilots. You know what? It doesn't really need it, but just in case you're running a little late, we, we need the third guy. So we're able to do, and, and we, we, we don't get pushback on that. Or we'll, we'll do a crew swap somewhere if, if we know it's going to fit and work. So that all works out. The problem we run into is the in the in the middle of the trip it's you know we're just it's late it's, it's a late go so that makes right right versus yeah so that makes yeah yeah what looks like but, a simple, but, no problem becomes a problem yeah but that's a that's a totally different issue though i mean that's not i'm talking about you know you you look at the schedule and, and you you know you pre-plan your your trip i mean if trips change while they're going i mean every trip is dynamic i mean that's you know and it's always going to be up to the pic to figure out what's acceptable or what's not so i mean i don't think you're going to capture that in a you know even with a pre-fatigue meter i mean no you're not i, I agree you're not. you're not that's why it's important to still have guidelines because if you have some basic guideline structure you can always lean on that <clears throat> the, the operative word are, being the operative word being structure I, I think that's the whole thing with the gut. You know, you have this. Uh, I can't. I don't think you can have this. Well, maybe you can. And and believe me, I'm, I've been in corporate aviation for over 25 years. That it, it's a fluid thing. I, I get that. But bringing we're we're now trying to get out of this antiquated mentality of like, well, we can, you know, and and like you said, it's the Pandora's box as you open it. That developing that structure and having something foundation going. It's not a basis of how I feel today. 
it says right here in the guidelines, we're not doing it. There's your answer. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. Tom, one of the um, Tom? one of the topics you brought up at the end, um, or I'm sorry, at the opening was a, um, a discussion around some of the trends. And um, you know, as we uh, as we wind up the podcast here today, I I thought I'd uh, I'd just ask about you know what you're seeing from a flight ops perspective on some of the trends, say with um, with new owners, uh, and just some of the trends across the fleet as it relates to. Um, these sorts of um, you know uh, these issues. I mean, we, we've characterized some some really important key areas here. Where you know when when uh, whenever I think of you, Kevin, <laughs> I think of all the flexibility that you've had to you know um, mix into the decision making. And you know we've talked a little bit about this before, where you know flexibility sometimes well suddenly it starts to become a norm and. And the norm becomes well, it's a deviation, and then uh, we're down that you know that path of a of a, yeah. a deviation that we really don't want to take. So flexibility in and of itself becomes a uh, a deviation, a normalized a deviation with um you know a particular owner, and I know that you're not the you're not on an island with that one. Uh, fortunately, it's 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 fewer than it is more. Um, yet, I find that um, certainly this fatigue assessment uh, tool and the um, the meter and the capabilities that it brings to the table in the planning, it allows us to have a little bit more objectivity and less subjectivity. Even in, in the real time, we can have planned with the fatigue assessment and we can see that, hey, if we get to a five hour delay here, here's where we're now in a region where, you know, we know at Solaris, a threshold of 12 becomes a cutoff, we're going to soon be approaching a 13 or a 14. That better informs our decision and makes it less um, subjective. Uh, so, you know, just another contributing tool, right? Yep. And uh, I wondered, uh, circling yep. back to that trends concept, what are you seeing um, just in terms of, uh, you know, the last 12 months or so? Uh, trends around this particular these issues. Well, we w it started actually probably about 24 months ago when we were um, experimenting with different scheduling programs, uh, and one of the scheduling programs we looked at actually had some type of uh, fatigue meter device built into the schedule, which was really cool because obviously at that point. Like I said very early in the conversation, the idea that we're looking at the trip as soon as it's scheduled, as presented, is a lot better than dealing with it you know, hours before, days before. Um, and so right now, we've, with Avionis, uh, they're on board with adopting the fatigue meter that Pulsar has put out and incorporating it into their schedule so that we will have that ability in a very short order. Uh, it sounds like by the end of the year, guys, which is gonna be really helpful for us overall, because it's gonna start not at flight ops, not with the CAM, potentially, well, maybe sometimes with the CAM, but certainly it'll start with the flight coordinator when they receive the schedule from the EA, if that's where they're getting the schedule from. And they'll be able to sort of, as soon as they put that thing into the schedule, and it, let's just say it's a 12 or a 13, they'll be able to say, wow, you know, sorry EA, 
you know, we're going to have to we're going to have to do something a little bit different. Is there a, what, what are some of our options? Like, can we leave earlier? Can we do this? Can we do that? So if hopefully it will take away some of the responsibility that we uh, are always vested with um, and sort of delegate out so that some more people can get involved and sort of reduce our workload. And I'm not just from flight ops, but from your guys' workload too. And, and so that we're not faced with these scenarios uh, day in, day out, like we are currently. Uh, and so I, in general, as an industry, it's across the board. And I think these guys will attest based on the folks that they know. You, you see all types of operations. You'll see operations that don't give a rat's ass about Playtime, duty time. Like if they gotta go to Hong Kong and it's a 14-hour flight, they're doing it. And you know, and there's two pilots. And when they take a rest, they'll take a rest and the they'll sleep in the galley. I mean, I've heard stories that way. Now I can't attest to whether they're true or not, but I've heard stories of of those sorts. Sure. And then I've heard of other operations, uh, 91 operations, obviously, that have really robust flight time, duty time limits, and they never waver from them. They've taught their client, this is what we do and this is how we do it, and we will never deviate from this. So just commenting on the, uh, the Solaris fleet in the last, say, 24-month uh, period or, or perhaps even a 12-month period, where are you seeing the trends as you look across the fleet in terms of, you know, is this more of a conversation regularly for, for 91 operations? Is it about where it's been? Are we going in, in, a, in a path that we're seeing it as an increasing concern? Or are we, um, are we seeing sort of a, a steady level and we're just putting some more tools around it? Uh, it's increased, but it's increased because the fleet has increased. So if you, were to t if you were to just, if it was a steady state fleet, it probably hasn't increased. Sure. It's just because our fleet has increased in size. And there are some new owners who've come into aircraft that you know maybe they got into an airplane that wasn't quite what they really need for the type of missions that they fly. So they're pressing the limits uh, every day, or I shouldn't say every day, but certainly on a lot of the trips that they, uh, that they plan. Well, listen, it's been a great conversation. Uh, Alex, uh, thanks very much. Kevin and Bart, um, we uh, hope to host you again. That was Alex McNair, Kevin Engel, and Bart Goldman, uh, our uh, fearless leader here uh, for Solaris Flight Operations, Tom Benvenuto. You know him as Benvo, <laughs> and he's, uh, he's ready to call the shots uh, with your help. Um, listen, we've been cracking at it for uh, just under an hour, and um, we'll come back and revisit some of these topics. Um, it's a uh, it uh, certainly is a, an opportunity for us to explore other avenues, and uh, it's nice to see that we're taking on new tools, and um, this fatigue assessment uh, is really uh, certainly one of those that's going to be able to do us a lot of good and be an enabler in the future. Just another contributor yep. in our big pie of contributors yep. for enabling us to be more as opposed to less objective. Yeah, and more to come, guys, on this. So thank you so much for participating on such short notice. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for including us. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Until next time, we'll uh, we'll see you back here on the uh, Solaris podcast in uh, short order. <laughs> All right. Thanks. See you guys. Thank you. Yep. Bye. See you. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Solaris podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast at solaris.arrow. 
Thanks again.